The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today, I'll be talking with Rotoballer's Eric Samolski. Uh, he does the Smolski Sunday Tribune, and he's got a new article out there on Rotoballer. He's also new to Tower Wars this year, but he's not new to you, especially if you've been following the FSWA Awards. All coming up next here on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Vivid Seats. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Eric Samolski from Rotoballer. You can catch Eric uh, in the Sunday Samolski's Tribune, the Samolski Sunday Tribune. I'll get it right. Uh, every, uh, ironically, every Sunday, uh, and he's got a new article up on Rotowire uh, Rotoballer, uh, which we will talk about a little bit later on the show. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. The uh, Roto Wire Roto Baller thing is going to be uh, tough oh, to go back and forth on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> when Roto World started up, that was weird. That was weird and difficult. Sure. Of course, we used to be Roto News way back when we started in 1997. But uh, you know, think in 2001 we had to change for a bad parent company. Basically, um, yeah. We won't belabor those details. Anyhow, <laughs> um, there's a lot of Rotos out there, and it's a good thing. Tons. It's, a, it's an yeah. ever growing industry. Uh, I love our our community. You know, you get together at Tout Wars. You're there for the first time this year in person. Uh, you can just see it, it's a it's a family. Uh, we compete with like hell with each other, but we also really get along too. Yeah. So, uh, let's jump right into what's going on right now in uh, in baseball. We had a week of games in the books now. Uh, new rules all over the place. It's hard to isolate what rule is controlling what, but uh, what you know, you know, I've seen a lot more stolen bases. We started to see a little mm-hmm. bit more offense. What has caught your eye the most so far? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to not say the stolen bases um, just because it's such a drastic jump from what we've seen in the past. Uh, and I think this, the stolen bases is something that you can really tie to the rules in particular. I mean, the mm-hmm. offense right now, it's like, is it the shift? Is it, you know, rumors of a juiced baseball? Um, you know, we don't really know. With with stolen bases, I think it's, it's pretty clearly um, – the lack of uh, disengagements, right? The pickoff right. limitations, the uh, pitch clock, and the bigger bases kind of all <clears throat> contributing. And we saw, we had minor league data to suggest that this was going to happen. So the right. fact that it's happening 
I think for me is a pretty clear correlation between, you know, the rules and the results on the field. And I also love it. Like I love a stolen base. I think it's a great sure. play in baseball. It's super exciting. Um, and so I'm, I'm all for more stolen bases. Yeah. You know, more movement, more, you know, more action in the game, less stagnant, uh, times, uh, yeah. l- less of those, those Kenley Jansen, 32 seconds between pitches, uh, oh things God. of that yeah. nature. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in favor of that. Uh, I, at first I, I was like, Oh, we don't need a pitch clock. Ah, I don't, you know, the one thing I don't like is this like, Hey, this is only two hours and 15 minutes. You know, I, right. I go to a ball game. I don't want to spend two and a half, three hours at a yeah. game. I don't, I want the extra time for concessions and all that. We're not cutting short the commercial yeah. breaks. Notice that. Uh, well, so I was a little cynical, but I do like what's the funny is I do think it makes it more enjoyable on TV so far. Um, yeah. I do find that like watching a game on TV, there's always the pace is up. There's always some action going on. Um, mm-hmm. And so I find myself, you know, I love baseball, played it my whole life, watched it my whole life, but I do also acknowledge that like, it was a great sport to have on in the background when you were doing other things because you could do something and for three and a half hours, a game was on and you weren't really missing as much. Now I feel like if I go to the kitchen to get a drink or if I do whatever, it's like I, I can miss half an inning. Um, right. So I do enjoy that at home that I feel like there's there's a lot of you know action. But I can see like, you know, you're it's the summer. It's a one o'clock game. You're out there in the sun and you're having a good time. And all of a sudden it's over in two hours and you're like, oh, wait, where did my afternoon go? Yeah. Speaking of watching on TV. So how do you consume the game? Do you watch, you know, do you, do you watch one specific team or one specific game? I've got the grid channel on cause I get the MLB network uh, deal there, mm-hmm. except the, uh, the uh, 720 on direct TV. So there's the Octo channel there where there's eight games right. going at once. My God, it, right now it's so hard to keep up with what, everything that's going on. There's yeah. always action going on now. So unfortunately uh, I have YouTube TV. Um, okay. which got in that spat with the MLB network. Right. Um, so I don't even have the MLB network. So I watch, um, you know, Mets and Yankees games locally if they're on. And then I watch through uh, the MLB.tv app. And they actually started that, uh, the big inning this year, which is like their um, answer to the Red Zone channel, okay. um, which has been pretty cool because they you can get up to four games on the screen at once, um, you know, depending on the at-bat and the situation. Um, and so that worked really well. And then I tried to do it yesterday, um, and they had network issues. So it's like typical MLB.tv, you know, stuff where it's like, it worked great for one day. And I was like, oh, this is, this is huge. And then it didn't the next, um, I try to focus on, I try to watch one game, um, just cause the jumping back and forth can be a little disorienting. Um, so I'll try to focus on like pitchers that I'm I'm particularly interested in watching, which are usually not pitchers on my own rosters because that gives me just so much anxiety to sit and watch pitchers that I that I'm like starting that day and I'm gonna overreact to every pitch, every whatever. Um, especially closers, like I can't watch. Don't watch your closer. Absolutely agree. Watch everybody else's closer. Yeah. So I'll watch I'll watch those starts like after the fact on, you know, on MLB.tv or go back and, you know, go through StatCast and watch particular pitches or whatever. Um, But I like to watch just like, you know, interesting starting pitching matchups. Um, So like the opening weekend when it was like Jared Schuster versus Mackenzie Gore, you know, I didn't have either one of them in any teams, but I was just curious about these two lefties. So I just put it on for a couple innings and, you know, watch that particular game and then I'll switch to another game later on. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I'll do things like that. Oh, similar things as well. Sometimes I'll do like when I just get the grid channel on and like, okay, they're, they've got a scoring opportunity here or 
you know, Trout and, oh, and Otani are coming up. That's always a go-to, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that that that's always appointment for me. I love that. Um, I like that idea of the uh, the uh, the the big inning thing. Um, if I ever switch over to the app, I think I, that that sounds like something I would do for sure. Yeah, it's a given. I hope they can iron out the kinks. Um, but it yeah. was, you know, obviously like everybody loves the Red Zone channel, and mm-hmm. there's no reason baseball can't do the same thing. So I th- I think they've been making some smart decisions so far this year. So we'll see if we can we can keep it up. They just need to get the people that program the Masters app, and then you know it'll everything will work great. I don't know if you've ever, if you're a golf fan at all, or if you've ever had the Masters app. It's amazing. You know, you use it I, once a year, but it like you get yeah. live coverage of every single player. You get the scores usually before like the the, the websites are out there. It, it, it's phenomenal. Um, so I have, just need I'm MLB not to get a, their programmers. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a golf person. I know it's uh it's, yeah. it's sacrilegious to say this time of year, but um you know one day. I just I'm not a patient person, so like golf was the worst sport for me because um, I just I get so antsy and I don't I can't sit and and you know go through the full 18 holes. And also, I'm a baseball player, so my swing is a baseball swing. So I just I get so frustrated with golf because I can't <laughs> I can't hit it I can't hit it the way I envision being able to hit it. Well, you also I imagine like it's hard to find courses, hard to find time. You live in the city. I mean, it's yes. Yeah. That's a tricky part about that too. I noticed I didn't see a whole lot of golf courses when I was flying over or anytime I've been on a drive in from one of the various airports for all the years I've been in New York. So I hear you on that one there too, uh, that it's, it's not easy. Um, so I uh, got to get out uh, to the subs uh, to be able yes. to find that, the golf courses there. Um, I, when I lived in Chicago, I didn't get to, I, get, I got to play every once in a while cause I had friends with cars, but at the same time, like I didn't own a car for 10 years. I didn't even need a, you know, so Made it yeah. awfully difficult too. Um, anyhow, enough about our golfing expertise and experience and all <laughs> and that. lack thereof. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know the thing is, we're starting to see like you know, so you know we're going through our second round with these pitchers. Some pitchers mm-hmm. have bounced back nicely. We saw Jacob Degrom yesterday have I think what twelve Ks. Uh, really looked good. Uh, we saw Aaron Nola have a credible outing. Not a not a great one, but certainly better than his opening day outing. Alec Manoa yesterday. We can kind of get uh, you know we can kind of start to say, okay, we can calm down about some of our pitchers here. Some of them. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I am a Max Scherzer. I have Max Scherzer on a few teams and uh, oh, no. I was big in on uh, Corbin Burns this year. Um, he was falling you know, the second round. I was getting him in a lot of drafts. So uh, that hasn't, I haven't yet uh, calmed with those two guys. Um, no, I envision, no. I envision that I will. I'm not overly concerned by anything I'm seeing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the big, you know, the a lot of guys um, righted the ship, so to speak. You know, I think the big losses were like, I was really excited for Robbie Ray this year. Um, so that in, that injury was a bummer. Um, you know, seeing Max Fried get hurt is a bummer. So that that kind of stuff, um, you know, always is the downside of of the early season. Is like, you know, injuries are inevitable, and it's it sucks, um, and it sucks when you don't get to really enjoy that player's performance for really any right. of the season and hopefully those two guys will, will come back looking good absolutely uh and you know what i will say uh, I, there are some guys i'm concerned about the ones that are more dependent on their fielding um miles michaelis i'm yeah very worried now he's faced toronto and atlanta so far so i want to apply that caveat he won't always sure. have these deep lineups that are, are going to hurt you but I, I am definitely concerned about him. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I think he's a streamer now. Yeah. I mean, I think you were always, 
I don't want to say playing with fire because he he had a proven track record. But anytime you have a pitch to contact guy, um, even when you're with the Cardinals and you know Cardinals have an elite defense and they still do have an elite defense, um, but you're opening yourself up to more risks, which was kind mm-hmm. of always my thing with Sandy Alcantara was I was like, you know, there's no doubting the talent that he has naturally as a pitcher. Right. But anytime you're allowing that many balls in play, you know, you're opening yourself up to poor defense behind you, you know, getting singled out as, as Nick Pollock says, just kind of like grouped <laughs> and, and, you know, bleeders all the way yep. through. Um, and, you know, it just hasn't worked for Michaelis early on. And I think that always makes him a little more volatile. Um, and I think is to your point why, you know, streaming, he might, and you might stream him for a month straight at one point in the season. Uh, but I don't think he's a locked in guy. You can't get rid of. Right. Um, I'm also worried about Chris Bassett, uh, not just because I, uh, that, but his velocity is down too. And yeah, I have, I have too much exposure to him right now. And at least in the NFBC, I was super worried about him at the start of the season. And actually like I was worried about his, his teammate too. And I was just avoiding um, Jose Barrios, no matter where oh, he too. went. Um, and I got to say, like, I- I'm also not a Yusei Kikuchi guy. So like the, the bottom three fifths of that Blue Jays rotation to me is um, a little bit unnerving. I-, I love the Manoa Gossman top tier, but like all three of those other guys would make me nervous if I was a Blue Jays fan and definitely make me nervous if I'm rostering them for fantasy purposes, just because I feel like, especially if that at that home park, like it's a blow up waiting to happen anytime they go and they could be great or they could, you know, give up seven in two innings. Yeah, and we haven't even seen uh, with the new dimensions yet, uh, the new outfit, uh, the new uh, fence. Uh, all, you know, some were raised, some were uh, lowered, some were moved up, mm-hmm. some were moved back. It, it's it's asymmetrical now. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but uh, at the same time, yeah, it could be dangerous. Even Manoa pitches to a certain amount of contact. Yeah, true. Yeah, so uh, yeah. but he pitched very well yesterday. Helped uh, big, big. There was one huge play in that game. Two men on, and uh, there was a line drive right at George Springer to end an inning. Uh, that was that was a huge play in yesterday's game, but uh, he pit, he did pitch well. I had to breathe a sigh of relief because I I did have him in the same league that I've got Bassett and Michaelis. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Manoa and Michaelis on opening day that that was a painful one. Yeah, that was. I mean, you know, again, I I go back to just like every time I'm watching Corbin Burns right now, it's been painful. Yeah. But yeah, there were a lot of um, duos, like a lot of you know teams. I was just seeing people post on my Twitter timeline all the time of just like you know, look at my first week stats because you just had three pitchers on the same day get lit up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are some people talking about like it's it's a little hotter in April than it was last year. So, you know, the ball's carrying. But I, I think with no evidence to back this up whatsoever other than my eyes watching the game, like I just feel like balls are carrying a lot more than I remember. Um, I agree. And it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if we're back to like you know, 2021 baseball or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mind happy fun ball in 2019, but it, it did wreak sure. havoc on us. Uh, there was one, yeah. until, you know, you, you talked about the eyes and all that. There is uh, I don't know if you remember the Astros and Tigers that the Alec Lang's unfortunate blown save uh, where he's super unlucky uh, that Torkelson hit the runner in the back and all that. Yeah. Uh, next play, Jose Abreu hits a ball with like basically one arm. It carries all the way to the fence. You know, Austin yeah. Meadows, butchered the play i think it was a catchable ball uh it wasn't ruled an error but could have been 
Uh, could have been a catch. But anyhow, I mean, that ball carried and carried. It was a one-arm job. He was yeah. totally fooled on that one there. And I was like, oh, that, that's a lot more carry than I expected. Right. And that's a little bit also of like the ballpark that they were in too, in terms of that, yep. that short porch. But again, you know, that looked like a fly ball off the, off the bat or the, off the swing, the swing itself. Um, so yeah, it was, um, and I've seen, you know, I've watched a bunch of the Red Sox early on and I'm, I'm seeing balls carry out of Fenway in March and April in ways that they don't usually, right. um, you know, and some of them are like off the bat of Adam Duvall. So you try to be like, okay, well, Duvall has power and maybe, but I don't know. I um, good fit for that park. Yeah. Well, we can rationalize it there. You make all the rationalizations, but I wouldn't surprise me if, you know, we just got a little bit of a juicier ball than last year. Yeah. It's kind of funny about the Red Sox too. Uh, You know, all along we're like, Oh, that lineup's not really that great. You know, the rotation we know is not that great, but you know, like, and then they scored nine runs each of the first three games. You're like, Oh yeah, you're going to score a lot of runs. And then the pirates come to town who are the pirates (laughs) and they shut them down. It's just, yeah. just three games. I, I will say the interesting thing is like, if you're, if you're buying the narrative that it's the weather and not the ball, the last two days in Boston were, were freezing. Like you saw guys yeah. on the field wearing like full, you know, a uh, covering underneath and Kevin Euclid's, you know, on the <laughs> broadcast talking about how he used to rub his whole body in Vaseline to play <laughs> in Boston in the cold. Um, and then the offense, the production did dip. So maybe yeah. it's maybe it the weather has something to do with it. Um, I was always somebody who felt like the Red Sox lineup wasn't being given its due. Um, I don't think it's a great lineup. I think it's a good lineup. Um, I think the top six, right, of Verdugo, Devers, Justin Turner, Duvall, um, Yoshida, and Casas. Like that's a pretty solid top six. Yeah. Um, guys who can, guys who can drive it out of the park, guys who will consistently make contact except for, you know, Duvall, um, guys who can change an inning in an instant. Um, and I think, you know, like it's the same criticism that people give of the Mets, like, Oh, the bottom half of that line or the bottom third of that lineup is gross. And I think like, if you look around the league, like a lot of bottom thirds of lineups are gross. That's what they um, do. They're bottom thirds. And, <laughs> right. Know? Exactly. So it's like, yeah, the Red Sox, you know, rolling out, Reese McGuire and Kike Hernandez and, and Arroyo, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't strike fear into opponents' hearts, but I think it's a pretty consistent lineup. Um, and the rotation has a lot of questions, but I also think like we're not seeing the full rotation until May when, you know, Bayo and, and Whitlock are back. And then it's like, right. okay, are those guys, is there, are there gains in those two young pitchers or not? If not, they're in massive trouble. Um, if those two pitchers or even one of those two takes a clear step forward, then maybe the rotation is fine as opposed to bad. But I don't think you're getting like really good out of that rotation. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, I have I have a lot of Bayo, although in some cases I couldn't afford to be patient. You, you find out pretty quickly, like in the NFBC, like, you know, hey, I have those seven spots and I need yeah. to stream three of them. And he's sitting there. I don't know when he's coming and I can probably just pick him back up. And so then you, you know, you can't stash that long, but I, I, I am very interested in Bayo. I, I think that he could be fun. Uh, Chris sale. I'm willing to give some time. I don't actually, I don't have any Chris sale this year, but in terms of just like, you know, I know his command was way off in his first start, but that doesn't mean he's going to be that way all year, especially when the weather warms up. Yeah. I, I also thought like, you know, the home run ball was a problem for sale in the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he, 
he missed a decent amount of bats. The velocity mm-hmm. was up. Um, and so I'm looking at like, okay, not a good start. But for Chris Sale, I'm more concerned about health than I am about like, did he forget how to pitch? So everything in the first start makes me feel like he's healthy. Um, you know, the velocity was there. He was getting swings and misses on the slider the way we want to see. Um, so I'm a little, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, you know, he gets the Tigers in this next series. So it's like, you know, um, I think you're rolling that out. Um, right. And then I just, I just checked, um, you know, Bayo and Whitlock are both expected to be back in the rotation um, by the end of next week. Okay. Uh, Bayo threw 70 pitches in a rehab outing yesterday and struck out eight. Um, not a minor league rehab outing, obviously, because the season hasn't started, but like, um, you know, an inner squad. So they're both going to get rehab starts this week um, and weekend in the minors, and then they should be back up next week. Um, and also, weirdly, uh, you know, James Paxton threw three innings in a rehab outing, and he's getting a minor league start, and he's up to 40-something pitches, and they're going to allegedly push him to 60 pitches in the rehab outing, which means he could be up to 70 pitches if he gets activated. So like, right again, Paxton is a guy where it's like, who knows what you're counting on after all these years, but there's a chance that the Red Sox get Paxton, Bayo and Whitlock back in that rotation in a week or two. Um, and if they're healthy for any stretch of time, um, you know, that's a, that is a, uh, that's a big difference than starting Cutter Crawford and, you right. know, people like that all the time. And then they'll have like a decision to make because then that, that, that gives them like seven starters. And then they'll have to decide like, okay, Tanner Houck, are you a reliever or a starter? And that's a decision they've been having. They've been kind of forestalling. I know they want to stretch them yeah. out, but at the same time, so, something's got to give. Kluber's not going to go to the bullpen. Pavetta's right. probably not going to the bullpen. Sale, we know, is not going to the bullpen. I think you, I think you probably have Paxton like piggyback with somebody, which would make the most sense. So you're not having Paxton throw, try to, you're not expecting him to throw like 90 or hundred pitches, like, you know, have him go three or four innings piggyback with somebody. Maybe that, maybe they do like a Paxton Hauk sort of thing. Um, yeah. Where they, they use them as piggyback starters. Um, and so you, you kind of get, um, you limit the, the potential damage of both of them who Paxton for injury purposes and Hauk for performance purposes, haven't really been able to go like six innings as starting pitching. Um, and given the just raw talent of both of them as pitchers, like if you get six or seven innings out of a Paxton Hout combination, like that's pretty intriguing. Um, and especially with their arsenals and the way they attack hitters, like it would be difficult for a hitter to go and face James Paxton and then to go and face Tanner Hauk in the next at bat, because you're getting not only different handedness, but totally different, you know, release points and styles right. of pitching and, and right. everything like that. So th- I, I don't know that they're going to do that. I'm just spitballing, uh, but it would be an intriguing proposition. Yeah. Cause it, let's, let's face it. We're not going to expect Paxton to go deep into any game at all. So that makes a whole lot of sense there. I, I kind of like that idea. Uh, you could do the same with Whitlock too. I mean, you're, you know, he's getting, trying to get stretched out as a starter. So he also could be a guy that could be in tandem too. So uh, yeah. we'll see, we'll see how that works. One other thing, uh, run prevention problem that uh, the Red Sox have is trying to stop the running game whenever Reese McGuire is behind the plate. Yeah. Um, I So I've mentioned this a bunch, and I, I, I really do think that, like, the new – the the stolen bases um, are, are going to be an issue not just 
for um, you know our fantasy stats, obviously for players who are stealing bases. But if you have a catcher who can't control the run game, at some point in time, the managers are not going to keep putting that guy out on the field. I agree. And I think I think that point in time is coming for Reese McGuire. Um, the Red Sox have allowed 12 stolen bases this year, and all 12 have come off of Reese McGuire. And to the extent that Connor Wong started the last game against the Pirates and Reese McGuire pinch hit, and then the Pirates stole two bases the first <laughs> inning that Reese McGuire was catching. Exactly. And they hadn't stolen a base early on in the game. So I, I think like it's pretty clear now, you know, six games into the season for the Red Sox that that teams are targeting him. Yeah. They're they're not running on Connor Wong. They're running when Reese McGuire's in the game, and they're just basically saying, like, you know, if you if you're gonna keep him in, we'll, you know, we'll keep, you know, we'll keep uh we'll keep running. Yeah. Um, One might say so that I, Reese McGuire got exposed, but yes. uh, oh you you could say that. Yes. Uh, uh, so I think that people should just keep an eye on that across the across their league for their catchers. Yeah. Like obviously, you know, you've got guys like Wilson Contreras and you know, your top tier catchers aren't coming out. But if you're in a two catcher league, you know, and you're rostering those guys at the end that are like, you know, the like Elias Diaz, Reese McGuire, um, you know, tier of catchers, uh, Francisco Mejia, you know, just guys like that. And you start to see that like they're getting run on frequently. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea to to expect a pivot. You know, I picked up Connor Wong in our AL tout because my catcher situation went off the rails in the, in the draft and I'm waiting for Bo Naylor to get promoted. But I picked up Connor Wong because I was like, I just think he's going to be the starting catcher or, or get 75% of the starts in the near future. Cause they can't keep running Reese McGuire out. If this is what's happening. Agreed. Agreed. And McGuire almost tied yesterday's game up it originally ruled a home run and then overturned. Yeah. I, you know, it's so hard, you know, especially the camera angles we get with any Red Sox game, anything down by the pesky pole, I can never tell if it's a home run or if it's foul. Um, and yeah. I think it's it's tough for umpires, too. It's just such a unique venue in terms of that. Yeah, and that one that one on the replays was pretty clear. Um, yeah. So, you know, they made the right call. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was very close to um, to being a pretty interesting end of the game there. Exactly, exactly. Instead, uh, was ruled foul and he struck out. And, you know, the, the Pirates bullpen has like a sub two ERA so far this year. Because, uh, yeah. again, fun with small sample sizes and all. But still, uh, right. you know, Bednar is pretty darn good at the back that back end. And they've got the best uh, setup guy's name in the business and Colin Holderman. I mean, it, you know, if you play in a yeah. safe plus holds league, I mean, you got to draft him. It's just a rule. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, I will say, actually, it's funny. I looked at, uh, just pulled up baseball references for, for baseball reference for stolen bases allowed as a mm-hmm. catcher. Uh, Reese McGuire has allowed 14 stolen bases this year. The next most allowed is seven. Um, so he has doubled that. I will say, though, the next most allowed is Austin Nola, Padres. Mm-hmm. So another guy who, like, if he keeps allowing a lot of stolen bases, does Camposano get more playing time? Um, yeah. You know, and then the, the other guys I think are pretty much in the clear. It's like the rest of the leaderboard for stolen bases against is Yasmani Grandal, Shea Langoliers, Tyler Stevenson, who are all guys who are probably not getting taken out of the lineup um, unless the White Sox decide to DH Grandal more often and, and let, you know, Sebi Zavala 
catch on more well, on occasions. So, and now that Eloy is on the IL, that's uh, a great possibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shockingly enough, Eloy's on the IL. I, I fell for the trap of, oh, he's healthy now. You know, right. injury prone versus injured. Uh, nope. I guess he's both injury prone and injured now. So we've got that going for us. Um, we're going to take a quick note from our sponsors and we'll start to look at uh, our respective Tout Wars teams. Uh, but first, quick note from our friends at Vivid Seats. Baseball is back. Swing into MLB season with Vivid Seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups in the biggest games of the year. Every crack of the bat, every deep center fly, every heart pounding double play of your favorite team, live and in person. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, now you earn rewards with every single purchase. Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward. Just buy 10 tickets, then simply cash in your credit toward your 11th ticket purchase. It's that easy. Pro reward tip. Buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free 11th ticket even faster. From behind the plate to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. See VividSeats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. I can uh, attest that Vivid Seats works well. Uh, when I did my college tour with my daughter last year in San Diego, uh, we got tickets on the fly uh, for uh, like Juan Soto's second home game. So that was pretty darn cool, and it worked out pretty well. Packed ballpark, too. And that's one thing you can see with San Diego. All their ball games are uh, uh, packed right now. Yeah. Um, also, our podcasts are on the Blue Wire Network. Here are their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Thank you for your indulgence there. I'm here with Eric Samolski from Rotoballer. Uh, you can catch his work at rotoballer.com. He's got a new article coming up there on pitches with new pitches. 
Uh, and also the Samolsky Sunday Tribune on his Substack, so you can check all that out. Uh, you can also check out Eric on Twitter. Um, that of course is at Samolsky NYC. So you check him out there. Um, Eric, let's talk Tout Wars. You and I did uh, the draft, uh, the AL Tout Wars uh, auction together uh, on a Saturday morning at Tout Weekend. Kicked off Tout Weekend, and your your first experience with Tout, how did it go? Um, it went well. I I enjoyed it. Um, I think that I. Uh, I came out of the draft pretty happy overall with the team. I, I just felt like I was maybe a little slow to react at the top end of the hitters. Um, yeah. I, the, I looked back at last year's draft. Um, I had my own projections and I looked at what people spent on, on the top end hitters last year. And I felt like I had a pretty good feel of how high some of these guys were going to go. And then there were, you know, some bids early on in, you know, like the forties. Um, and I was like, okay, that didn't happen a lot last year. Uh, that'll, you know, correct. And then it kind of kept going up and up and up. And I, I, um, I thought maybe some of these guys would last or would go for a little bit cheaper. And it it took me a a little bit to, um, to jump in or to change the value to the value, the valuation. Um, so that was my regret. And then obviously my catching situation, um, I kept just saying like, you know, I'm not paying, um, you know, I'm looking at some of these prices right now, but like, you know, I'm not paying um, like, oh, 13 for Danny Jansen felt high. And I was sure. like, I don't know that I can go that high for these guys. And then I wound up everybody I kept getting priced out of. Um, and I, I wish in hindsight that I had at least gone higher for one of the catchers. Um, yeah. I, so those are my two that. regrets. And, and you and I spent, very similar uh, budget allocations. You spent 154 on hitters. I did 155. Uh, you you had 102 on pitching, 105 for me. Uh, a couple bucks left over. No big deal at the end there. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, and the thing is, and I wrote about it in my review of the draft is that Doug's Doug Dennis's win last year shaped my mindset, and I think it shaped others in terms of you know he punted starting pitching entirely and went uh, 260 mm-hmm. respectively, basically on his budget. Um, we saw two other teams have similar budget allocations this year because they did not want to see him dominate the hitting like he did last year, where he won all five hitting categories comfortably. You know, Aaron yeah. Judge at $31 goes a long way in an OBP league, by the way, in his career season. That helps. Uh, a $3 J- Jeremy Pena also helped him a lot, too. But, you know, nonetheless, he just bludgeoned the hitting categories. And I think there, I think there is a conscious effort by a lot of drafters not to let that happen again. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, and and that's that's part of my regret for not going in on some of these top end guys. Is I think the offense I put together will be fine, but I don't know that it will perform up to the level of some of these other um, some of like you know the teams like like Doug put together. Um, I also noticed that by the end of the draft, I was looking at so many starting pitchers who were going for less oh. money than I thought they were going to go for Gross. that I'm, I'm happy with my rotation. Um, and I don't really feel like I overpaid for anybody, obviously, um, you know, losing Robbie Ray in an AL only league is pretty massive. Um, when he was my second starter. Um, so that wasn't good. Um, but you know, I just think like in hindsight, I could have said, okay, I maybe could have saved eight dollars, eight to ten dollars. Um, and, and on my starting pitching and just kind of like scooped up a lot of these, um, low cost guys later. And if I put that into my offense, um, I would have felt even better about it, but you know, hindsight's 2020 and all that. 
I feel exactly the same way. And your one of your purchases really triggered me. That was Hunter Brown for six and John. Well, two of them, Hunter Brown for six and John Gray for four. And I think I just like threw my pencil at that point in time because <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 the pictures I got, I like, I love, I love Jeffrey. Smith. I love Lance Lynn. I was happy to get them, but oh my goodness. Uh, when you yeah. get those guys for that cheap, I'm like, what am I doing here? And I, I should, should have realized it took me, it took me too long to realize that starting pitching was getting undervalued. And mm-hmm. One of the keys in any auction is trying to get a feel for what the prices are. And I, I reacted too late to the point where I didn't have enough budget to do a whole lot with it. Now, I also was like landing players left and right early because I thought there was a lot of mid-tier right. guys at, it's, at prices I was comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I went no more than like $23 on any given player. So I, I, my whole point was I wanted to make sure I filled every spot. I wanted to get players that were going to play on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. with with one, with one exception, um, and uh, it you know I had like one one dollar hitter or two one dollar hitters, but I was trying to make sure I got guys that could play, um, because I felt like I didn't have enough hitting in the past. But uh, right, and then I got the I got the Peraza Volpe thing wrong, and that that's a gift that keeps on giving. But uh, yeah, so it goes. That one makes me sick too. Um, I that was that and that was tough. I was I was in on Peraza early on in in the spring because they weren't playing him anywhere else. Right. And so I kept saying, I know what Volpe's doing. I see what Volpe's doing. It had nothing to do with saying he wasn't earning a spot. It was saying, if Volpe is earning the shortstop job, then why aren't the Yankees playing Peraza at other positions right. to see if he can also make the team? Um, and it turns out that the Yankees were just comfortable sending him down to the minors and letting him play second in the minors, which is allegedly what he's going to do. I just didn't think... Because he had debuted last year and done well, I didn't think they were going to do that. I didn't. I th- I thought they were going to find a way to keep both of them up, um, and they didn't. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I I was wrong on that one. I think you're talking about playing time with your hitters, and I was really con- uh, conscious of that. I think what I wish I had done differently, and I can change it now because it's just the reserves is. The reserves, I took flyers on guys who I was I was hoping some of them, like Michael Garcia, would make the team out of spring because they were rumored right. to, um, and they didn't. But now it's like my reserves are all guys who are not active. Yeah. So now, you know, like I have Robbie Ray hurt. I need to put him on the DL. I need to activate another starting pitcher. But the two pitchers I have in my reserves are minor league guys. So instead of having a major league ready starting pitcher that I can just put into um, my lineup, I now have to, you know, scan through the wire in an AL only league to find a starting pitcher that I have to activate and hope doesn't, or a pitcher in general doesn't have to be a starting pitcher, but a pitcher that I can activate that I hope doesn't torpedo my team. Um, And so that's a, that is another dynamic where in hindsight, I think I, I'm so used to like you have your roster and you have your bench and then the end of draft is all like, you know, for these flyer types that you don't have to use, but without a, an actual bench, like the reserves really need to act, or at least some of the reserves need to act as that bench. Um, and with guys you could just throw in immediately. And I, so I, I regret how I handled that, at least for now. I mean, I, I like the guys that I, um, that I have, but right now they're not helping me. 
Yeah, when Garcia gets the call later, if you still have him, that'll be pretty sweet. But uh, sure. you know, that, that's the whole thing. Can you hold on to him? I've, you know, I, I think I, you know, I had one stash in Evan Carter, and I thought I had another guy that at least was going to make the team, but he didn't. After all, it was Ortega uh, on the Yanks. So, oh, oh well, yeah. move on. You know, cut him pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, it's it's that fine balance. You know, Tout Wars does have unlimited IL spots, so you can stash your injured guys at least it's unlike the nfbc or my home league i've got an ao only this is the league that started rotowire actually uh, it's in our like 30th year uh ao only except with the brewers because that's when we they were still in the AL when we started this league uh, and it's four by four we have three reserve spots no il spots um it is punitive uh that's so tough. that's where you it's really 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 difficult to stash yeah. um you can't even stream i mean it's so difficult yeah, that's that's uh, that's tough. My home league it's four IL spots, um, which has been nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, you know the IL spots in this were something I used to my strategy. I you know late I I paid for Leody Taveras and Michael Brantley mm-hmm. um, because they both were expected to be back. You know late April, um, and I just felt like Brantley in particular was a specific just OBP pick. Um, sure. And Tavares was that like, you know, I was getting Leody Tavares for what I felt like was a pretty affordable cost at, at $4. Um, and if he is the starting center fielder on Texas and shows what he showed at the end of last year, that there's really good value there. And he's about to go on a rehab assignment um, this weekend or next week. So, you know, hopefully he'll be back in my lineup in a couple of weeks. Um, so those were other things that like, I feel like my slow start offensively is just some guys off to a slow start and also me hopefully getting to full strength in the next couple of weeks. I found it noteworthy that uh, even with Tavares out, Bubba Thompson's not getting any starts. Uh, I, I think yeah. I, I, not in this league, but another league I had picked him up hoping to get some early season steals and then just move on. Um, we didn't get to the point where we got the early season steal. So it was all right, immediate move on. Uh, so that worked out. Uh, that did not work out so well, but so it goes. Yeah, I was surprised um, because I thought he had flashed interesting enough um, skills that he would at least get the run early in the year. Um, also, because like, don't you want to see what you have in him? Like, he's exactly. also a young he's also a young guy, um, and so if he's not in your plans, I mean, he's twenty four years old. Like, do you want to see if you can trade him? Do you want to see if he has a role? But by not playing him, you're I don't know you're. I'm a little confused by that, to be honest with you, in terms of like, I guess they just are expecting he's not a major league contributor, um, which feels rash with a 24 year old who's flashed a decent upside. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, yeah, I don't know. Robbie Grossman's got to play. I don't know, but he's got to. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, one other player before we move on. Uh, you and I got in a bidding war late on Tristan Cassis. Uh, I didn't have a first baseman at the time. Um, I ended up with Andrew Vaughn a couple pl- nominations later, but you and I kind of went to the mats. In an OBP league like Tout Wars, Cassis has extra value. Yeah, that's my thought is, um, you know, the who knows, you know, what the batting average will be this year. I think he can easily be a 250 hitter, which the projections mm-hmm. don't think. Um, and you know, who knows when the, that raw power shows up in games, but I do know right now that he has a great feel for the strike zone. So I think his, his baseline is again, a hitter in a lineup that I felt was being underrated 
who's going to have RBI opportunities hitting behind guys like Yoshida and Duvall and Turner and, and, and players like that with a good foundation for on-base percentage skills and then the upside to have a really strong you know power profile as well. Um, and I, again, we talked about how I was a little cost conscious early in the draft. So I had the money to say, you know what, like, I'm just going to go get this guy. Um, because you know, I can, I can go a little bit over what I maybe projected coming into the draft, um, to make sure I get a a first baseman who I I like. Nice. And I like that. I, 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 I I really thought I was going to get Cassis. I had gotten him in a lot of early drafts, uh, not as many late ones. Other people started getting on him a little bit more, unfortunately. So it goes, you you know, you find out your guys, everybody else's guys, uh, see also Springs. Uh, but at least I got him in tout. I was happy about that. Um, Let's move on. Uh, you have got an article coming up on Rotoballer, um, which is about pitchers with new pitches. Without making this an audio book about your new article, uh, tell everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I do this series called Pitches with New Pitches and Should We Care, which basically just operates under the premise that, that um, not every new pitch is you know should be treated as equal and that sometimes a guy adding a new pitch actually doesn't make the pitcher any better based mm-hmm. on how he's using it, how it pairs with the rest of the arsenal, um, you know, if it actually fills a gap in his profile that he had. Um, so every article I do, th- I look at three or four pitchers. Um, I try to also incorporate video footage with a tweet so you're not just kind of hearing me break down the pitches, but you're seeing what the pitch is and how sure. it also fits. I do some overlays. So this first article features uh, Pablo Lopez, um, Alex Cobb, Kyle Gibson, and Clark Schmidt. Um, and basically, uh, I'd just say the the highlight is I'm in love with Pablo Lopez's sweeper. Yep. Um, and I think the sweeper with the added velocity – I'm just so all in on, on Pablo Lopez, obviously, you know, health is a huge thing for him, but I think if you have an opportunity to, you know, go trade for him in a league, I just think it's going to be a real big year for him. Um, And I also, I've been a little, I'm a little tepid on Clark Schmidt's cutter, which everybody is like Clark Schmidt added a cutter and it's great because he had, um, he struggled against lefties last year. So theoretically the cutter should help him against, against left-handed pitchers. He threw it exclusively to left-handed sorry left-handed hitters and he threw it exclusively to left-handed hitters in the first start um but he also gave up a home run on it a double on it um had a 750 batting average against so you know he had a he had a bad four seam and a bad sinker last year so he has struggled to find a fastball that works um and i i like him as a pitcher i think there's upside there so i hope that the cutter is that fastball that works but i'm not entirely convinced as of right now Reminds me of Anthony Desclafani when he was with the Reds when he was coming up. And, you know, I, and he really always struggled to find that out pitch against lefties. That's why I never really kind of took that next step. Uh, it looks like the Giants found something with him, especially because he looked pretty good in his first start against the White Sox this week. So we'll see. Um, you mentioned the sweeper. That's like the trendy pitch right now. I yeah, mean, you, you yeah, hear, hear a lot of talk in uh, pitcher circles, pitcher list, you know, on Savant, you see it a lot there. Now they classify the pitch as a sweeper. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, a lot of emphasis on horizontal movement. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. It's like the sweeper isn't overly different from what we've, what we used to think of as a slider, 
right? But then the slider now has taken on so many iterations with like the bullet slider and the gyro slider and the slider that is 10 years ago what we would have called a cutter and all that sort of stuff um, where, you know, I it makes sense to me that you would throw two versions of a slider, one that's harder and more um, and has like less break and one that's slower and has more break um, because when it comes out of your hand, the batter won't be able, theoretically, won't be able to know which version of the slider he's getting until it's too late. Um, so it all makes sense. But again, th- you know, that in and of itself is not a- enough to be like, oh my God, like in the article in particular, I talk about Kyle Gibson has a new sweeper. Um, and it's great. And he's actually thrown it pretty well in the first two starts and it's missing bats. But Kyle Gibson consistently throws six pitches. Yeah. Um so it's cool that he has a new sweeper and it's cool that that sweeper is getting swings and misses. But if it's just one pitch among six and he's still giving up a lot of contact and overall still isn't missing a lot of bats, then it doesn't really change who he is as a pitcher unless he starts to like get rid of some of the other stuff. I was just going to say, maybe he should not be throwing six pitches. Uh, yeah. But you know, some, sometimes, you know, that you can do it doesn't mean you should. Uh, so there it goes. Do you find yourself uh, like your strength is analyzing pitchers? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I was a catcher um, in college and I um, caught uh, overseas uh, at, in a professional league after college. Oh, really? um, so working, working with pitchers and calling games and, you know, all of that stuff is something that is obviously a huge part of catching um, in particular, just like using one pitch to set up another pitch. So I think that it's kind of in my wheelhouse to not just say like, Oh, this, you know, the slider is good, but Oh, the slider is good, but it works well with the fastball or it, you know, it, it really works with the sinker and pitchers being able to use this one to set up that one can make them more effective. Um, So I, I would say that it's where my brain goes. So I definitely do most of my work analyzing pitching, but I, I tend to think that it's also been my strongest suit in, in fantasy is finding pitchers who, um, you know, late round pitchers or guys like that, who I, I find something intriguing about their arsenal that I think could make them uh, impactful. And, um, you know, then I, you know, I don't know, re- reap the rewards of some of their benefits. Sure. Uh, also like, and sometimes you, you miss, I was huge on Reed Detmers. Um, and I had him basically everywhere last year and the start of the year was not particularly good. Um, he was also on my bench for the no hitter in a lot of leagues because oh, he wasn't gosh. pitching well before then. Right. And then he got sent down. Um, and like you mentioned before, like in a lot of NFBC formats, when he got sent down, it's like, I can't, I can't hold on to him. Um, right. And maybe I was wrong. And then he came up and looked great and I wasn't able to, to get back in. Um, and so now I'm like clamoring to, to catch back up, but you know, sometimes that's like the, the nature of, you know, the, the fantasy game versus the analyst, the analyst hat is like saying you have faith in a player, believe in a player, and then stra- making the right strategy calls to make sure you have as much exposure to that player as possible are two totally different things. And, you know, I wish I hadn't cut bait in some of the places that I did last year. Yeah. Um, and it's a great illustration that players don't develop linearly, you know, it's fits and starts. And then one thing clicks and all of a sudden, boom, you're done and change one little thing. And you know, it, it that's all it takes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for so sure. Very tricky. Uh, do you find yourself like 
looking at catchers and being able to evaluate how they can call a game? Do you get, do you, are you extra critical, uh, not just of Reese McGuire, but other catchers too? Um, I try not to be extra critical because I understand just how difficult it is. Um, but I do like, you know, Alex Chamberlain has, uh, his pitch leaderboard, um, which I really like. All right. Uh, we will, uh, bring Eric back hopefully in a second here. Um, looks like he had a little tech glitch there. Uh, and and so uh, we'll get him back here any second and there he is. All right. My internet, my internet uh, went on me in a second. I like Alex. I was saying I like Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard yep. because he has a feature where you can search uh, pitcher ERA based on the catcher they're throwing to, but oh, not nice. ERA. But you can actually look at the percentage of pitch usage based on catcher. So that's something where it's like I, I, some, I don't think we want to overreact to like X pitcher throws better to search to this catcher. But if you look at the results and you're like, oh, this pitcher throws better to this catcher based on results. And then you look at the pitch mix and you're like, why does this catcher call, you know, the curveball 15% more than the other catcher? Um, and there's a lot of things that go into that. It could be the particular day that, you know, that catcher is catching that pitcher and the curveball looks good or the other stuff looks bad and you don't want to overreact to it. But I, I do think that there is a comfort. You know, and, and, you know, pitchers like Nick Pollock may disagree with me that that pitchers are, you know, head cases and can sometimes be divas. But I but I think they are. And I think that, you know, pitchers need confidence in the catcher to throw their pitch with conviction. Um, and if you especially if you have like a hard biting slider or a cutter or sorry, a splitter that dives a lot and you don't fully trust the guy behind the plate, not just to block it, but just you're not on the same page with them. If you're in your head at all about executing that pitch or if it's the right pitch to throw or is this going to get hit or whatever you know if a pitcher holds back on that pitch even a little bit it can drastically impact the performance of it so i I just you know i i watch a little bit to just see um those kinds of things and if and if um you know there's enough to go on usually there's not uh but i think this year like I, i mentioned at the beginning I think the big thing I'll be watching is just handling the running game. And I think that will, that will be actionable as opposed to some of this other stuff. Nice. I like that there. Um, you played in college, you played a little overseas. Uh, yeah. How did you get started writing? Um, so I, I was an English, I was an English teacher for 11 years. Um, so I've always kind of written and, and taught writing. Um, you know, I wrote creatively. I did a lot of short fiction and screenplays and stuff on the side. So I was always writing, Um, And then one summer, um, you know, I was as a teacher, you know, just trying to make a little extra money and Rotoballer was hiring football writers. And I was like, you know what, over my summer break, I can write about football. I've watched football my entire life. Um, And so I wrote some articles um, and found that I enjoyed like doing the research and, and, you know, writing the content. And then obviously that trickled into baseball season. And that was just kind of like, you know, football I've watched, but I never played. Um, and I enjoyed writing about it. And then so when baseball season came and I was like, this is a game I know inside and out and I love it. And you know, now I'm able to research it in the way that I did kind of as a fan, but I can now write about it. Um, and it was just, I was kind of hooked from the second that I started doing it. And I kept thinking, you know, that I would, 
that it would fade out, that it was just a quick thing that I would do. Cause you know, I have all this other stuff going on with teaching and whatever. And I, I could never drop it. I just, there's always an article. I feel like I need to write. There's always a topic. I feel like I sure. want to research. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. And it obviously works for you. You've won uh, an FSWA award three times already. So congrats on that. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Uh, your work is great. And you guys should check Thank out you. his article on the uh, pitchers with new pitches on Roto Baller. You should check out this uh, Somolsky Sunday Tribune as well. And that's on your sub stack. That's uh, on my sub stack. And I, I tweet it out um, every Sunday as well. So that's at Samsky NYC on Twitter. So that'll come out again this Sunday. And then, you know, you can you can subscribe or you can, you know, look up Somolsky Sunday Tribune on uh, Substack and you can subscribe to that as well. Um, and yeah, the, the pitches with new pitches thing will be a weekly article early in the season on Rotoballer. Um, and then once the minor league season gets started, um, I do a weekly article as well, scanning the minor league leaderboard um, and trying to make sense of the, the players who are performing really well and whether there's an opportunity for them to break through. Um, so, you know, trying to get ahead on some guys um, and uh, ahead of their call-ups, uh, you know, and so that's a fun little exercise yeah. that I, I do as well. All right. Very cool. Samsky at Samsky NYC. Check that out. And Eric, wonderful talking with you today. Thanks for spending some of your day to here. Uh, enjoy your Passover. And uh, thank, thank you so you. much for uh, joining us today. We'll do this again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always, uh, always a blast. You bet. All right. Clay and Todd will be at you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Have a great day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.